Grace, mercy, and peace be unto you from God, our Father, and from our Lord and Jesus, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, our Savior from all sin and death. Amen. From the mountaintop of glory, Jesus had been transfigured. His face shone brighter than the sun. His clothes were as white as light. From unassuming appearance, the humble Galilean and carpenter, the most radiant of showcases. And Moses and Elijah had come to be present with him, with God the Father speaking forth from the cloud on high that this man, Jesus, is his eternally begotten Son. To the wilderness and depression, and despair. Forty days and forty nights without food, without any sustenance of any kind. As he was able as a limited creature, Satan tempted the Lord Jesus as much as he could for over a month's time. Barren wasteland, jagged rocky crevices, Hot, desert-like winds. No prophets to keep, keep him company. No voice from heaven to pull him through. And yet, Jesus still had within him, from his learning and his education, the Word of God, his promises. And Jesus Himself, as that Word made into flesh, still used that Word in His reply to Satan. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Now, none of this was coincidental. Jesus was not accidentally in the wrong place and at the wrong time. Tempted by the devil for several weeks on end with no relief. It was all part of God's plan. Jesus Himself was led out into the wilderness by the Holy Spirit, third person of the Trinity, in order to be tempted by Satan. This was right after Jesus' baptism in the Jordan. And when it comes to themes... Our weekly scripture readings do us aware of a good service. Season of Epiphany, which we have just concluded, is bookended by the baptism of Jesus and by His transfiguration. And both of those miraculous events are highlighted by the stunning presence of the Almighty Father, speaking forth that Jesus, this human being, is His eternal Son. But there on that mountain of transfiguration, Peter, James, and John were made brutally aware that this transfigured Jesus will not now be their new companion. This state would not last. The road for Jesus led elsewhere, back down off that mountaintop, not to His temptation out in the wilderness, but to the fate of the cross. For the Lord Jesus had already faced those 40 days and 40 nights of tempting, of fasting. That happened right after His baptism in the Jordan. 
And here's why. Jesus Himself, Word made flesh, is Israel. All of God's people, all mankind, reduced into one. God's justice over all sin of all the world demanded a full payment. But one man's life, human mortal man, would not be enough for every man. But only God's perfect life and all of its power and all of its might could be enough to cleanse from all unrighteousness. And yet, He still must be a man in order to die and in order to rightly stand in our stead. One for one. And so Jesus, Lord of heaven and earth, with all things under Him, He stepped down into our place. Took on Himself the full identity of Israel. Just as all mankind, as we heard, is represented in the first man, in Adam, so all mankind has its representative in the new man. In Jesus. The Hebrew people of old, they had been paid for as God's own people by His act alone of redeeming them, of setting them free from slavery in Egypt. They were then initiated in as God's holy people through water, the waters of the Red Sea. And their journey then through the wilderness after that into the promised land was their chance to live out their lives as God's chosen people, His redeemed people. But they failed, as did Adam, as did and as do we all. And so Jesus Christ, Lord of heaven and earth, was baptized and established as God's chosen one, the one foreseen in Genesis chapter 3. The one to take the place of us all. Jesus was then driven out into the wilderness by the Holy Spirit. Whereas the Hebrew people were there tested so as to reveal their genuine faith and their trust and love for God, the Lord Jesus was faced with every temptation, allowing Satan every opportunity that he could take, that he has done with you and with me, and to hurl the same at at the Lord Jesus. And the first of those temptations that Matthew sees fit to highlight is to turn stones into bread. Now the Hebrews had grumbled against God back in the wilderness that they would die of starvation. Jesus, too, was starving. Yet He would not use His divine power for his own benefit, to save himself. The Hebrew people were only looking out for themselves. But Jesus was looking out for everyone else. And after this time of tempting, Jesus still did not use his power to feed himself, but trusted in God's provision and was aided and cared for by God's holy angels. As mentioned briefly before, the Hebrew people, they grumbled against God out in the wilderness. Time after time, they doubted God's care for them. Or worse, they used it against Him. Certainly, nothing you and I would ever do, right? They claimed that their lives were better 
back in slavery because they did not have the same quality of stuff that they had in Egypt, now out in the wilderness. But God allowed their struggles as a way to test their faith, not for them to flip on God Himself and see fit then to put Him to the test. That is what Satan attempts to do with Jesus in round two. And sure, Jesus, you can live on God's Word alone, but now let us test the power of that Word of God. Let's see if God will really keep His promises. Throw yourself off this temple spire, for He will command His angels concerning you. Satan uses the Word of God. Jesus did not fall for the trap. While it can be difficult, certainly for you and for me, to distinguish between tempting and testing, the Lord Jesus has no such difficulty. He was not about to test God in any such way. He trusted in Him fully. And the third and final temptation recorded in the Gospels at this time drives the point home to the heart. At the same time, it encompasses all the others as well. Jesus has clearly stated to the devil He is God's Son. And Satan has seen fit to challenge that claim over and over again and does so now with the greatest of attacks. The Son of God Himself as the Son is to acknowledge one Father and one Father only. To have two fathers or two gods or even more, totally messes up the identity and relationship of father and son, most especially in the case of Jesus. And Satan wants Jesus' knee to bow unto him, ending the son's right relationship with the father. But Jesus would not take the path tragically followed by Adam. In his original sin, Adam gave up the true and only worship of God and Him alone. He put the Lord's Word to the test. And he sacrificed his full dependency upon God for his own imagined independence. But Jesus remained faithful to God alone, no matter what consequences might come his way. Nothing could deter him from his true identity as God's only begotten Son. And especially with your salvation on the line. Jesus gladly and willingly bore all things for you as we hear from our Hebrews reading. He faced every temptation to sin that you and I face each and every day. The book of Hebrews tells us this clearly. You have the one true God who can actually sympathize with you. Who knows what you go through each and every day. He knows the dilemma that you face when stuck between a rock and a hard place. He knows the feeling of having Satan level his attack against you when you're at your weakest point. Just like a well-seasoned pro certainly does. And while tempted in every way, just like you and I are tempted, Jesus remained pure. 
sinless, never once giving in, never backed down. He remained faithful to the end. Jesus clung to the Word of God alone for you. He resisted that strong urge to put Himself above all others for you. He fought off the desire to test God's promises. And He denied the opportunity to worship another God, even though He was promised the world, all the kingdoms that it possessed. And all of this, the Lord Jesus never does as a boast or a brag. He did not face those temptations and win against Satan as a kick in your pants to do better as a Christian, to inspire you to holier living, to show you that, yes, it can be done. You just need to try harder. But the chance that you and I had to resist Satan in each and every way ended when Adam bit the forbidden now the Lord Jesus resisted every temptation for you to crush Satan under his feet, to defeat him for you. Jesus showed Satan right then and right there that Satan could not win. He kept the commands of God because he knows we cannot. And in so doing, the Lord Jesus shows he is our perfect and only substitute. He is the Holy One of God who has taken your place and mine upon the tree of the cross. And this very story sets the tone for all of Lent. It is a season of penitential, of contrite reflection upon all that we have done against God and His commands. But all the while, the victory of the cross and of the empty tomb remains clear in sight. You boldly confess your sins, knowing that they already stand forgiven in Jesus. They cannot harm you before God, for He has graciously given you all things in Jesus Christ our Lord. And so the victory march toward the cross has begun. And what comfort and what true joy that gives to you and to me as we continue on in this life burdened by our sin. But we're living each day as those marked and redeemed by Christ the crucified. The victory already won. For He is the victorious one for you. And for all. Amen. The peace that passes every human understanding, guard and keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus to life everlasting.